Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. สวัสดีค่ะยินดีต้อนรับสู่บทเทศนาของบท Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. And here's this week's sermon. We hope you enjoy it too. I'm going to preach on a topic that I, if you could pick any one topic I hate preaching on, it's this topic. I'm going to preach on giving. If it were up to me, I would never preach on this. If I were a salesman, I would be broke. If I were a beggar, I would starve to death. And yet, I really, uh, God called me this week to preach on giving. And I said, Lord, Rodney did such a good job last week. And um, you know, except for putting on some. Dark, tarry eye makeup and weeping, so you could see the tracks of his tears. He did perfect, and uh, but that was a joke, um, you know. But and and plus, we're in our usual, as Rodney said, our usual summer downward spiral, and I don't want to appear to be desperate or anything like that. And the Lord said, uh, "This isn't about being desperate. You've been through this many times." And I've always provided, and people have always given. So it's not about that. This is about obedience. This is about you being obedient, because giving is one of the real keys to a healthy spiritual life. It is one of the real keys to a joyous Christian life. And I want you to preach on it, and not only preach on it today. I want you to preach on it regularly in ways you haven't. And I said that's just not right. <laughs> you know I don't like this topic. And he said, "Do it." So, I picked the passage, and I need to tell you something. That something I just got hit right between the eyes is Hank always asks me. Hank picks the scriptures uh, that we read in unison uh, or, or responsively during su- Sunday morning, and he asks me the topic, and I give him the topic, but I don't give him the, the scripture. And then Hank just picks scripture, uh, you know. Uh, that he thinks will go with the topic, and never before until today had Hank picked the exact same scripture for responsive reading that I'm preaching on this morning, which was God's confirmation to me: "You heard me. Now go do it." And so I'm preaching from Luke, chapter six. <laughs> I'll read it again, chapter six, verses thirty-five. Through thirty-eight, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the great, ungrateful, and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, today's sermon is on giving, and the verses I just read to you are some of the most misinterpreted verses in Scripture. One misinterpretation is that if you want God to meet your needs, you had better give. Let me set one thing straight: 
We don't give in order to get God to love us more or save us better or meet our deepest needs. He died on a cross for us while we were yet sinners. He died on a cross while we were yet his enemies. He loved us totally before we ever got to him, and he loves us the same way now. He cares beyond our ability to comprehend, and he has been generous with us all along, Jesus taught. Whether we have been generous or not, he has been generous to us. The fact is that we're here today, that we're here today means our most basic needs have already been met. Our hearts are pumping, our lungs are breathing air, our livers are filtering things they should filter, so are our kidneys. We are here today because of the goodness of God alone. Our giving has nothing to do with earning a relationship with God or earning our salvation or earning God's blessing. All of that has forever been free, will continue to be free. It is a gift, period. Amen? The second misunderstanding of this verse is that if you give $1, God will give you a whole bunch more back. In fact, I think it's in Mark, it says 100 times back. We invest in God with our giving for the same reason we invest in the stock market or in mutual funds. We give simply so we can give more, which is the heresy going on here. And that more is material possessions, so we can profit. God blesses us to raise our standard of living in order to make life easy for us and our families. In other words, we give so God will bless us with more material wealth here and now in order merely to make us happy. This misses a lot of what these verses are saying this morning. Look at the context. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The rewards Jesus is talking about in these verses, first and foremost, are relational, not material. Although they can include the material, and I'll say more about that later. Don't miss what Jesus is trying to show us. He is inviting us to life in his kingdom, to give the best of what he's entrusted us with. We are his stewards. We are the managers of his stuff, but he is the owner, and he's calling us to use what God has given to us like Jesus did. Christ is talking about an attitude, a condition of the soul, a way of living that is opposite of the world's. Our world says it is what you own that makes a life. Jesus says it is what you give that makes a life. The world says it is what you keep that makes you wealthy. Jesus says true wealth is based on what you share with others. Great living depends on great giving, Jesus said. Because great giving means we are in tune with the heart of our loving and generous Father. And when we give, Jesus said, greater blessings than what we give will come back our way, including at times material things or wealth. So what should we expect back when we give? Because Jesus said, you should expect something back. I think there are three blessings we should look for when we give to God's work, God's ministry, to help people that God wants to help. And the first blessing is this. When we give with the right attitude and heart, God will give us more to give. Did you notice I did not say God will give us more to keep? God delights in meeting our needs. And the fact is he gives us more than we need all the time. 
He is generous. Every person in this room has more than what they need. But much of what he gives us, he means for us to reinvest back into his kingdom and human lives and human need. Randy Alcorn said that suppose you have something important you want to get to someone who needs it. You wrap it up and hand it over to the FedEx guy. What would you think if instead of delivering the package, he took it home, opened it up, and put it on his shelf? You'd say, what a lousy FedEx guy. Those packages do not belong to him. His job is to get things that I sent to the people where these packages are addressed. So much of the time, we don't get it. We're God's FedEx people. The packages aren't ours. We get to keep some of the packages. In fact, God is so generous, we get to keep most of the packages. But not all of those packages are addressed to us. There's a bunch of packages that aren't supposed to stay at our house. We don't own the packages. They're not put in our hands primarily for our pleasure. We are stewards. God blesses us to bless others. In 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made, and listen to this, here's the promise, you will be made rich in every way, not just material, so that, so that what? So that we can be generous on every occasion. Did you get that? God gives to us so we can be generous on every occasion. So God gives to us so we can give more. God blesses us so we can bless others. God helps us so we can help other people. And when we don't live like that, God, and when we live like that, God will entrust more and more of his packages into our hands. God doesn't bless us just so we will be blessed. That's only part of it. Part of it. He blesses us to build the kingdom. He blesses us to be a blessing. The second blessing God gives generous givers is the blessing of multiplication. Jesus said that what we give will come back to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Jesus said that what you measure out will be measured out to you by God. In other words, what Jesus was saying, folks, is you reap not only what you sow, you reap more than what you sow. If you are gracious, you will receive grace back multiplied. If we forgive, we will be forgiven more than what we ever forgave anyone for. If we love, that love will go out and come back around, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and bless us over and over. Just remember, what you give will come right back at you in multiplied forms. Whether you, we like it or not, for good or ill, we are setting off chain reactions into this world and into eternity. Whether it's a chain reaction of hate and judgment and unforgiveness or a chain reaction of grace and love, our lives set them off and they are coming right back at us. Whether it's chain reaction of sin or a chain reaction of love, we will reap a harvest of what we're sowing. 
And a harvest is simply something that you sowed that has now come back in multiplied form. One pastor said, I bought my final can of bean and ballpark soup not long ago. He said, when I was in high school, I made a friend. And during my first time at his house, his mom made lunch for us with bean and ballpark soup. It became kind of a sacramental meal for us, even though it tasted awful. The mother's name of my friend was Betty, and she lived to be 90 years old. She never did anything extraordinary. She just raised four children. She just held her family together as her husband wrestled with manic depressive disorder decade after decade before there was medication and treatment, not knowing what she would come home to each day. She lived in the same small house in Rockford, Illinois, her whole life. She never traveled. She never bought an expensive dress or an upscale car. But when she died, the church was packed. It was filled with lives she had touched, people she had loved, people she had reached out to in her neighborhood, the hungry she had fed at her table, people who found her home was their home. It turns out that her house on Carolina Avenue was one of the strange, small, unmarked outposts of a great soul. A soul that graced everyone it touched. And he said, at her funeral, I bought one more can of bean and ballpark soup with me to the funeral as kind of a last supper to honor her soul. That is what I call a harvest. That is blessings multiplied. That is blessings pressed down, shaken together, and running over. She lived a life of blessings. Blessing other people. And in the end, what she found out was she could not outgive God. You cannot outgive God. The question is, what are you sowing? What do you want coming back your way? Because what goes around does come around. What is coming back to your life multiplied? Think about that. And the third blessing God gives generous givers is treasure that is eternal and relational. The best treasures will never be material, although some of them will be material. The best treasures will be our relationships in the spirit or our good works that touch people for the kingdom. In the second century, St. Lawrence, a deacon in the early church and treasurer for the church, was brought before the magistrates of the city in order to hand over all the church's valuables to Rome to refuse meant if he didn't, if Rome was shaking down the church, and to refuse them meant certain death. Lawrence asked for eight days to gather everything together. And on the eighth day, he would present the church's valuable possessions to the emperor's representatives. On that day, Lawrence appeared before the emperor's representative with orphans, the poor, the lame, the widows people in distress who had been touched by the grace of God, and pointing to them, Lawrence said, these are the treasures of the church. You want to take them to Rome? These are the treasures of the church. And for that reply, Lawrence was sentenced to death and roasted alive over burning coals. 
But Lawrence had it right. Lawrence reflected the heart of Jesus. Do you know why we won't take gold to heaven as wealth? Because in heaven they pave the streets with the stuff. Gold is the asphalt of heaven. The real wealth of the kingdom is God and people he has loved and graced. And earth's currency are worthless there. Think about it. Imagine spending eternity with someone who is in heaven because God used you. Imagine the love, the gratitude, the joy you'll share with that person forever. That beats something in the bank today gathering less than 1% interest, doesn't it? Imagine seeing how your prayers change the lives of people forever and celebrate it in love and in joy forever. This, uh, this Friday, this past Friday, I was on an Amtrak train down to Philadelphia. Uh, I was going there because I'm the chair of the Heeding God's Call, which is, which is a group, interfaith group, dedicated to lessening gun violence in America. We are not against guns, but we are against gun violence, and there's ways we can put a dent in this. Anyway, I'm riding down by myself, and there's an empty seat beside me. And at Elizabethtown, this woman, who's probably 70 or 75 years old, gets on Amtrak, the train, and she walks up and she sees the empty seat beside me and says, can I sit beside you? And I said, sure. We started talking. And uh, I said, you know, tell me a little about yourself. And she goes, well, my husband is a nuclear physicist. He's in Budapest this week. And my, I live in Boston near my daughter and grandson, and he's at MIT. He's a theoretical mathematician and physicist. And I said, well, tell me about yourself. And she said, well, I've taught at, the, you know, I've taught at uh, more than one university. I've been involved in research projects for more than one university. She said, I was there when, you know, they really started using uh, computers commercially, and so I set up the whole computer program for the Kellogg's Corporation across the United States for their transportation department. And then she said, then I became a publisher, and uh, she said, and now, you know, now that I'm retired, just for fun, I'm going to Harvard. <laughs> and I thought, I, I should be your pet. You know, I, <laughs> what? Holy cow. And then she told, I said, what are you studying at Harvard? And she goes, well, I'm studying Anglo-Saxon history on, and how it impacts modern England. And I'm into Celtic, studying Celtic religion stuff, although I have no, you know, real use for religion. She said, I'm Jewish and I'm an atheist, although sometimes I lapse over into an agnostic, so I'm being agnostic about being an atheist. But she said, I don't have much use for religion. And then she looked at me and said, what do you do? <laughs> and I said, I got really good news for you. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I said, I am a pastor. And as the blood drained from her face, uh, oh, actually it didn't. She, you know, and, we, I, and I said, I have three sons and one lives in Norway near Oslo, and her face lit up. 
And she said, I love Norway. And she said, when I was in Norway, I had this profound spiritual experience. And she said, I think maybe in a previous life, I might have been a contemplative nun. But she said... <coughs> But she said, while I was at this place above the Arctic Circle, this monastery, she said, I was so overcome by something I cannot explain. She said, I ended up laying face down on a, on a rock floor, floored by something. And then she told me of another spiritual experience that happened in Michigan while she was teaching there. And so we talked, and I told her about the church. And she's impressed with you guys. I, I painted you in the best light possible. And then I told her why I was going to Philly to help with lessen gun violence. And she was really impressed with that. And then we just started talking very personally. And she'd been a researcher all her life. And I said to her, before we got off the train in Philadelphia. I said, you have had two profound spiritual experiences, and yet you do not consider yourself spiritual. I said, look, why don't you ask the one who gave you those experiences for more? If you're going to research, research this. And I told her, you see yourself one way. You see yourself as a moral person, and I'm not going to argue with that. But I see you as a spiritual person, and I think you need to own that and research that. And we went on to have this one, and I was just nudging her, nudging her. Look, look at what you, you say you're not spiritual, but some, somebody or something is after you. Don't you think you ought to find out who? When we got off the train, this Jewish, atheist, agnostic, confused person said, thank you, and she was as warm as she could be, and we had made a real... And my last question, and after this 45-minute conversation, I said, I, I have one more question. What is your name? <laughs> and she said, what is your name? I said, my name is Glenn Elwood Dalton, Jr., but, but they call me Woody. And she said, oh, thank God they call you Woody. <laughs> She was shocked. She was shocked that this Jewish, atheist, agnostic woman had talked to a Christian pastor for 45 minutes and loved it. And you know what? I'm praying. Her name is Esther. I'm praying for Esther. And I'm praying that the seeds, the few little seeds I sowed in her will take root and I'm praying that after the seeds take root, someone will come along and water. God will send just the right person at the right time to water those seeds. And I'm praying that someone will come and harvest those seeds. You know what I'm really praying? I'm praying one day I will see Esther in heaven. And she will walk up to me and she said, you know, you were the guy on the train that God used to get me going on this journey towards spirituality and salvation and we will rejoice together, and we will weep together for joy. And guess what? That is heavenly treasure. I am praying for treasure. Are you? And of course, 
The greatest treasure when we get there will be Christ himself. I believe our capacity to enjoy God there begins here. Our capacity to really receive love and joy and enjoy God comes to some, from, to some degree from how we are being expanded now. If the Westminster Confession says the chief end of humanity is to worship God and enjoy him forever, we should be doing all we can to enlarge our hearts now to receive what's coming later. Amen? Giving, especially sacrificially, enlarges us. When Jesus says, when you give, what will be given to you will come back, pressed down, shaken, running over, he says, into your lap. Other translations say your chest or bosom or whatever. And what they're referring to is the robe they wore back then. Back then they wore something, you know, the robe. And, of course, they had a sash across the middle. And and they stored stuff at the top of the robe. You know, they didn't have pockets, so they, they just, you know, stuffed the robe at the top. That's what Jesus meant by the lap. It was a natural pocket. It was Christ's way of saying that when you give and keep on giving, God will give back more stuff and your capacity to receive will be enlarged. Your heart will expand. Your pockets will be able to hold more. God wants to expand our hearts in order to pour himself into them. He wants to melt us with his love. He wants to stuff us with his joy. He wants to give us as much of himself as we can stand now. And more importantly, then store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And one of the ways you do that is you enlarge your pockets here. Again, giving blesses us though now, not just in heaven. Giving helps us help save us from drowning in our own egos. Because when you give, you're thinking about somebody else. You stop drowning in your own ego. When you give, you quit collapsing on yourself and going, wine, 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 why me? When you give, you quit being seduced by the incredible materialism of this world. Giving doesn't save our souls, but it sure can change our lives. As Randy Alcorn said, when God provides more money, we often think, this is a blessing for me. Well, yes, but it would be just as scriptural to think this is a test. So often, the more we make, the less percentage we give. We keep too many packages. So often, we fail our tests. The irony is, is when you give more, you get more. It's only as we greedily grasp our lives, our talents, our gifts, our time, our money, that we end up with less. It's only as we greedily hold on to our lives that we lose them. Go after real wealth, Jesus says. Give. Give, brothers and sisters, because you can't outgive God. God will make sure his faithful stewards get their needs met and so, so much more pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out all over, all over us and in us. I, uh, about once every 10 years, I bring this story out, true story that happened here. Uh, so some of you have heard it. I've been here 37 years. I think I've told this story about three times from, from the pulpit. But there's a bunch of people here that have never heard it, so here it goes again. 
years ago, decades ago, probably three decades ago, I was preaching on tithing. And of course, in the New Testament, they don't, the tithe is not required. It was an Old Testament concept, but I was preaching on, don't you think as Christians we should at least give as much as they gave in the Old Testament? I believe the New Testament standard is, you know, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Don't let 10% be a ceiling on that. But anyway, after that sermon on tithing, a young couple came up to me. And they said, uh, this was a week later, they came up to me and they said, uh, we, we really listened to your sermon and felt God speaking to us through your sermon. You, you, you might want to try that. And, uh, and uh, they said, we had never tithed as a couple. And we realized if we tithed, we would pay our bills, but there'd be almost zero left in the balance book. But they said, the Lord can touch us when you were preaching. And we decided, what the heck? Let's take a risk. Let's see what God will do. And so they tithed that week and took their bank account down to near nothing. And they said, the next week after we tithed, we got a letter from the bank. And the bank said, you have too much money in your mortgage escrow account. Enclosed is a check for a month's mortgage payment, which was far more than what they tithed. And they were so excited, they ran to me and said, you won't believe this. And they told me the story. And after I listened to the story, I said, that will preach. (laughs) So the next time I preached on giving, I told this story. And there was another young couple in the church. And they said, you know, that other couple sounds like us. We're young. We've never tried tithing or giving sacrificially like that. And if we pay our bills... And, and tithe this month, we will go down to about nothing. But we feel the Lord calling us to try that too. And so they tried it. And they came to me excitedly the next week. And they said, guess what? We tithed. And the week after we gave, a letter came to us from the bank. And it said, you have too much money, too much escrow in your mortgage account. Here is a check for a month's mortgage, which surpassed by far the tithe they had given. And I said, that will really, really preach. I can't wait till the next time for this. And so the next time I preached on giving, I preached about both things. And there was another young couple in the church. And they said, they were in very similar situations. They said, let's let's try it. And I don't have to tell you what happened. The next week, they received a letter from their bank. And the letter said, you have too much escrow in your mortgage account. Here is a check for one month's mortgage payment. And at that point, I got afraid to preach this anymore. (laughs) Now, please hear me on this. If you do what I've just talked about to make money for yourself, 
forget it. If this is not an act of obedience, forget it. If this is done to avoid other financial responsibilities, no way. You do not give the money you owe the landlord to the church. You give the money to the landlord, and then you be faithful. If you say, this will get me out of my financial woes, surefire, uh-uh. Or this will cover my stupid, wasteful use of money, hasta la vista, baby. No, what I'm talking about must be done in obedience and in the spirit of generosity and with the desire to bless God and bless others. And then God will bless you. I promise you God will bless you. And it may be like what I just described. But I cannot guarantee like what I just described. But I guarantee you something will come to you pressed down, overflowing into your life. It may be a life so filled with friends across the world that you don't know you are so rich in friends. It may be the joy of giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the joy is flooding you. It may be just freedom from worry. Because God just keeps giving me enough to keep on giving and I'm not worried anymore. It may be a sanctuary packed with loved ones at your funeral. All who thought they were your special, special friend until they saw 600 of your special, special friends. As Paul says, God will make us rich in every way. I've been hesitant to tell this story more often because I didn't want people to think it works out this way all the time or to do it for the wrong reason. Yet I think God was telling these couples and me and this church that he can bless in any way he wants to, including with financial miracles. God blesses us to bless the world. God helps us to help others. He takes us beyond ourselves. He expands us. And you can't truly be a spiritual person and not be generous. Did you hear that? You cannot be a spiritual person and not be generous. It stops the flow of God's life and love and power coming through you to ignore what Jesus was talking about in this passage this morning. You are quenching the spirit if you are not allowing God's generosity to flow through you. And I remind you that there are many ways his generosity can flow through you. It's not just money. It's time. It's gifts. It's a listening ear. It's a compassionate hug. There are many ways you give. But you can't be spiritual if God doesn't have your pocketbook either. Someone has rightly said there's a direct line between your heart and your pocketbook. But please hear this. The law of sowing and reaping and giving and multiplication is in operation for every person always. What are you going to do about it? If we adhere to this, it will expand us. It will make us more like Jesus, who is just like his father, who Jesus said is so generous. It will pour the joy of heaven into us. It will build rewards in heaven that are eternal. God gives to us so we can give to others. How and when that happens is up to him. And as his generosity flows, there will be a change in us 
and there will be a change in the world to boot. I hope you are happy. <laughs> I did what you said. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to listen to the Spirit this morning. Are you living by what Jesus said in these scriptures? Are you living generously? Do you believe what Jesus said? Open your heart to the Spirit now. And let him, let him examine you in this area. Dear Lord, tell us what packages need to be sent on. Help us to be good stewards. Help us, Lord, to be generous like you have been generous. And in gratitude and joy, give, and truly we will discover it is more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, help us to jump on the adventure of a lifetime with both feet instead of just dipping our big toes in. Help us, Lord, to believe you, really, really believe you in this area. And be generous. In your name we ask it. Amen. I'd like the worship team to come forward. I'd like the intercessors to come forward. We will pray with you and for you about anything. And um, then we will conclude the service. Would you stand?
really can't outgive God. You know, my, my father is not long for this world. And you know what's a shame to me is that there might be six or eight people at his funeral. How many people will be at your funeral? How many people have you sowed love and grace and forgiveness into? How many people have you prayed for and blessed? How big will the greeting committee in heaven be when you get there? Think about it. Give your life to it. It will be worth everything you ever give. Because you cannot outgive God in this world or in the next. Lord Jesus, bless us as we go. Thank you. Thank you for a generosity that is unfathomable. Help us to reflect that into the world. Amen.